0: Now, if you received uh, my email this week, you know why I'm going to talk about elephants now, but elephants are amazing, it'll become evident to you when we get into this, (laughs) but elephants are amazing creatures, aren't they? These huge uh, animals uh, weighing tons, 10 feet high plus, uh, and because of their super strength can be trained to be very helpful. Helpful. And though they have great memories, they can also be held captive. Check this out.
1: We have a place called the Elephant Orphanage. We have about 70, I think now it's about 100 elephants. And when you get a baby elephant, you have to tame the baby elephant. So you tie a chain to the elephant's leg and the other end to a very strong concrete pillar. And the baby elephant tries to break it the whole day. The whole next day, after a couple of days, he realizes, I can't do it. And he accepts that fact, I can't do it. And then he begins to grow, but he has accepted the fact, I can't break it. He grows to be a 10 to 12 ton animal, and he can easily snap that chain. But they would never snap the chain. It seems to me as if, you know, where the scriptures talk of strongholds, it seems to me as if a stronghold has been built in the elephant's mind that he cannot break it. And sometimes I feel Satan would build strongholds in the minds of believers to make believe that we be are unworthy, you are unworthy. Look at your life, you messed it up, you are unworthy. And as long as we live in the context of unworthy, we will not have the true joy of the Lord, nor the authority in ministry, nor a growth in our life. I feel as if, as the way the Sri Lankans would uh, build a stronghold in elephant's mind to think that he cannot break. Satan also builds strongholds in our minds. Different individuals, different strongholds. But the strongholds are built in the mind.
0: Some of you remember uh, Pastor Adrian DeVisser as he shared uh, here uh, a number of months ago. uh, uh, Pastor from Sri Lanka sharing about a number of things, but uh, uh, it's so true that uh, uh, these elephant trainers just take a, a small chain it seems large to us, but small to them around an elephant's ankle when they're young, and trains them in that, they will not break free. They are held captive by this chain easily, just like as we break a thread, uh, they would could this, this you know 10-ton-plus animal could easily kick away. but they will not do it because they are held captive. I would I could have shared that story, but not in his accent. And he just sounds so great. Actually, by the way, I'd encourage you to pray for the believers and the churches and the people in Sri Lanka. I just got an uh, email from Dr. DeVisser uh, in, in the middle of the second service. I wasn't didn't have my phone there, but I looked at it afterwards. But uh, it, uh, there's a tremendous rains happening in Sri Lanka right now, and people are having their homes flooded, and the ministry there is seeking to find different ways to reach out to them. But it is true that we can be held captive like a like a, a baby elephant is and then an adult elephant held captive by so many things yes unworthiness uh, but yet we can also be held back by other issues of life and they they captivate us they imprison us and we're held back held back from experiencing all that god would want us to and desires to held back from the joys of of growing in a relationship with God and held back from living out God's unique call on our lives, but yet, as we talked last week, we can overcome. We can overcome the temptations like Jesus, and we can overcome like like last week we shared a story about Ted Williams. Remember him? Uh, uh, how he had you know been on his own initiative, <laughs> his own giving into temptations that led into homelessness and he had a beautiful voice and sought to use that but yet couldn't and then now he's able to overcome and yet if you've watched the news at all you know that he's still struggling with the chains of the past. Uh, There was an issue uh, with his daughter in a hotel and the police came and he was not arrested but detained and then he went and saw I guess Dr. Phil. And and Dr. Phil encouraged him that he needs to go into rehab. And so I believe that's where he is now, seeking to break free of those chains of the addictions he had in his life, those chains from the past. And like the elephant or, or like Ted Williams, we can become imprisoned, held captive, shackled, constrained, restricted, thwarted from life from experiencing the life and the great plans God has for us. Uh, last week, our, our elder chair Steve, as he was introducing something, shared the verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to uh, prosper you. The word actually is a Hebrew word, shalom, which means not just, it doesn't mean material prospering, it means the prospering of life, of experiencing all the best that life can have. That God has that for it, and he has a, uh, plans for us that are for shalom and not for calamity, not for bad things, now bad things do happen that's not his plan but he works even through those plans but God has good things for us and even this next year in 2011 if we can be, break free from these chains these shackles that holds us you know what a tragedy it would be if if Ted Williams flushed all this opportunity that came to him down the drain because he could not break free of those habits and you know it's not going to be easy it's not easy for us either But Jesus will help because he has come to set the captives free, free to live out God's unique call in our lives. And as we've studied through this Bible book of Luke, we can see Jesus reaching his own unique call and showing us how to reach with him to help others in theirs. So take your Bible, if you would, and open up to Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. We've got a loaner for you. Our ushers are coming down. They've got a Bible they'd love to put in your hands. And it is a loaner, so don't steal it could you imagine stealing a Bible That'd be... <laughs> but if you don't have one and you'd like one don't take this one here just leave it at your seat there's one at the information desk for you just ask and they'll be happy to give that to you but after Jesus dealt with the, the, the enemy Satan in, in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 13 we pick it up in verse 14 and it says this Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread to the whole country he taught in their synagogues and everybody praised him That was his unique call, to go into the synagogues and preach about the kingdom. We even read at the end of this passage that we're looking at this morning, verses 43 and 44, it says, But he said, I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent. This is my unique call. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues in all of Judea and to the other areas around him. Part of Jesus' call is, yes, to show us how to live life God's way and to pay the penalty for our sin, but also he came to preach about God and his message of salvation. And that was Jesus' call. He overcame temptation and was set free to do what God had called him to do, which includes setting captives free. Now, as you read down there, we'll look at it more closely, but in verse 18... He brings out this whole ministry to set the captives free. I put it up on your screen and in your notes in the New American Standard Version because it follows the more the Greek wording in there and has some things I want you to get out of it. But I'd like to read it to you. It's, it's, it's actually, Jesus is here is quoting Isaiah 61 verse 1. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind to set free release. That's in the Greek but it's not in the English version But I put it in there. Uh, Those who are downtrodden. Now, as the... Greek listener would have understood the terms. They would have got what it said here. They would have understood understood the term captive. Uh, Vern, stand up. I love using you. Come here, stand up here. And just face me. Yeah. (laughs) Now, literally, let me put this just right by your heart there. and Just hold it there. Okay. He is now at spear point. He is held captive. The word literally means held by spear point. One thrust. Uh! and he could be over. Now, as they read this, they would have understand that Jesus had a unique call. It says, you know, in the, the word me is in there a number of times. I've been anointed, sent by God to, to preach the gospel. But they would have also understood the word release, because the word release doesn't mean to escape from the spear. It means to be the spear taken away. I left a mark on you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I pushed a little too hard. Yeah. <laughs> But the idea is, is that Jesus came to release us to, uh, another word is exonerate or acquit. That he came to not only, not just to have us escape the shackles, but to completely be removed from them, to be released completely from them, so that we would be set free. The chains come off to be acquitted. And he wants us to be set free, set free from the shackles of sin. That's Jesus' reach. That's his call, his unique call. And we have a unique call as well. Uh, It's to journey listening to God and focusing on what he wants us to do. Now, we spent a a long time, many weeks talking and listening and, and discovering how we can live God's unique call for our life. But, but God has called us to do a number of things, and, and many people of you have been picking up those things and seeking to live life God's way and to, to listen to him and to, to get about different projects that he's called on, like the ladies in, in Honduras. Here these ladies went and picked up this uh, idea of heading out to Honduras, and, and I meant to have you pray for these uh, ladies during the Garden of Prayer, but you can pray for them now. But uh, here they are in Honduras, and, and Cindy doesn't need a, a walker, but she got that from her sister so that she could give it to this lady in Honduras. She didn't know she was getting it and, and has a hard time with arthritis walking, and, and they're able to be used of God. But but, but these ladies just picked up, we want to live out God's unique call in our life, and for right now, it's heading down to Honduras to cook for 170 women. There they are with all the, the food there, and, and they're enjoying a great time there. But uh, God has caused a call on us, and we've seen other people do that Look around your chair and you'll notice these little packets that are there with nice pen. They didn't used to be that way until someone said, you know what? I think my unique call is to pack these packets full of pens. And so Diane Daly has been doing that over and over again. You know, we have a library in our church, not because uh, it just kind of popped up there, but Joanne Lattawig has dedicated her call in life to get that library and a number of other people have been surrounding her to make it happen. And it's there because of that, and, and God is using that. And, and others of you are reaching out to God's call. God tells us in his word what are the things that we're supposed to do. And, and there are specifics, yes, but there are also general things that we should do. And let me give you three really quick to write down in your notes, and hopefully you've taken out your notes um, and started writing some things down. But write down these three things that God has called us that are part of our unique call. Uh, write down Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Look it up later, but let me read to you verse 10 of Colossians 3. One of the things that we are to do is to put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We are to be the image of God. That means when we walk into a certain place, we're to reflect God's image. We're to reflect His grace, His mercy, His kindness, His generosity, His love at school, at work in our neighborhoods, in our home, in our family. All throughout life, we are to reflect the image of God. That's one of the things he's called us to do, that we are to be released to do. Another one is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 to 13 to be a help to those in need. Here's verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Now that first part of that verse to, to help those believers that are in need, that, that comes naturally to us. We have our friends our, and we'd love to help them. We find out someone in our small group or, or in our class or, or someone we know at church is struggling and we want to help them as we have a friendship with their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then the other part, practice hospitality. That sounds great. Hey, I can open my home, have people in my home, have my friends over. I can be a good host and hostess. That's not what the word means. The word hospitality is made up of two words. It means uh, being kind to strangers. That not only are we supposed to be uh, sharing with God's people who are in need, but we're to practice hospitality. How you be kind to strangers is to help meet their needs. So we're help, also help those who we see don't know to help them in some way. And then lastly, it's not the only one, but here's of three, is Ephesians 2.10. To be about the good works of God, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are to be about the good works of God that's helping people, to be a blessing to wherever we are, at home, at work, in our neighborhoods, to help out. Not only that, to also share the the life-changing message of Jesus when God gives the opportunity to, and to lead people to God. You see, Jesus came to release us so we would be about our unique call. Yet much of this world locks us in, cages us up, holds us captive, imprisons us. Uh, we're we live in a day and an age where debt is rampant, and we are uh, not taught to control our spending, and we get shackled by debt, so that we have to work harder and more to pay for all the things we want or need to have. We're also not challenged to make wise decisions and. And so we get locked into bad work conditions and it emotionally just levels us that we go to the grind every day. And and our world does not help us with that, nor does it help us prepare for the future. And, and, and we feel restricted with our resources as we get older. It doesn't teach us about how to deal with relationships correctly. And so we neglect relationships and we neglect personal growth. And then we uh, struggle with that that uh, chain of, of, of stagnation in our life because we're not renewing and and developing our relationships as God would want. You see, we're limited by laziness. We're boxed in by busyness. We're edged in by expectations. And it all can hold us captive, imprison us. Yet the truth of Jesus that he said to come to set the captives free, and, and the truth of John eight thirty six is so there. So if the Son of Man, or if the Son Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. So how do we experience this release? How do we experience this freedom? How do we reach like Jesus and help those who are captive? Well, as Jesus begins his public ministry, living out his unique call here in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 44, we see four imprisoning elements of life to be released from and one vital element that we should all be captivated by. So I want us to explore that this morning. But before we launch into that, would you mind standing one last time and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it's so true and so helpful. And Lord, we've all felt uh, at the point of the spear. Whether it's an addiction or an issue in life, we've been captive by the wrong things, imprisoned. And maybe even like the elephant, uh, it's things that we could easily break free from, but mentally we just see so wrapped in it. Father, I pray that... As we walk through this text this morning, you will help us. Give us some truths that we can hang on to, that we can be released like you desire for us from that spirit, released from that that binds us. Teach us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated, and if you haven't already done so, I'll take out that outline. It's inside the worship folder, and there's some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. I encourage you to write down these extra verses because you'll want to look at them later as uh, you study the word of God. But four imprisoning elements of life to be released from, one that we should be captivated to. The first is to be released from imprisoning thoughts. Uh, look again at our text in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, that's Jesus, and where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And what he read, the scroll that he was given, was Isaiah 61, verses 1, and probably in part of verse 2. 2. And he read that. And he he, uh, just read it, and then we're not sure of all that he said, but Luke gives us a clue what he said, a few words he said. Down in verse uh, 21, last part of that verse. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now you would have thought that a big gasp ah! would have come across the audience because everybody knew. Everybody knew that Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 talked of Messiah. That, that, that this passage was about this, this wonderful uh, king, leader that would point them to God, that would help them in all their issues and would bring peace to the land and would be of God and a wonderful thing. They all knew that. And when Jesus sits down and says, This scripture is fulfilled. He is basically saying, I am Messiah. Interesting thing, their response. Verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. And they're so excited that he's Messiah. No, they didn't say that. They said isn't this Joseph's son? Nobody even responded to what he said. <laughs> they just all sat there and they were thinking more of the human ideals than of God's ideals. And isn't that the way we are? It's really hard for us and we're shackled in our own human understanding to understand the things of God and not the th- and we only understand the things of man. We only think of can't than can. Now, some of you uh, received my email this past week, and I have a few of them out there if you didn't get that. It talks more about this idea of can and can't, so I won't go into that as well. You can just pick up the email down there. But the idea is, is that, that we tend to think humanly and not spiritually. We are imprisoned in our own human thoughts that, 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 that our sinful brain says that we can't do this or we're limited in our understanding. And we look at things humanly and not as God does. First uh, Samuel 16, 7 uh, says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks inward. And so like a chained elephant, our thinking can imprison us like those there in the synagogue on that day. And we just simply don't get it. And we think we can't. We think limited. We think only of the human side of things, and so we don't. We don't align to God's way of life because it doesn't make human sense to be last. I want to be first. (laughs) And yet God says to be first is to be last, to be the servant of all. Uh, We don't expand our view of God because God doesn't fit in our human box. Uh, We tend to think humanly of God that he's just some figment of our sociological mind that we've put together that we need something higher to, to be able to worship and not that he is outside of ourselves and greater than us. And then we don't accomplish the great things we know God wants us to do because they seem impossible. And that's our problem. They seem impossible. We can with God's strength because we don't need to be locked into our human thinking. <laughs> Proverbs 23 verse 7 says in the New American Standard Version says, for as he thinks within himself, So is he. If we think we can't, we think it's impossible, then it will be and we won't. But yet God is greater, God is higher, God is more awesome than anything. Isn't he? We didn't didn't we just sing about that? What we need to do is do what Romans twelve two says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, which is limited in its thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, in other words understanding who God is and what he wants us to do. And then you'll be able to to test and approve what the will of God is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. We need to let this truth saturate our lives because so much when we look in the mirror, we don't see what God sees. We see what man sees. We see our mistakes. We see our struggles. We see our sufferings. We see our limitedness. Not humility. We see unworthiness. Unworthiness. And that shackles us. It, it holds us back. It chains us back from, from seeing who we are in God. What we should do is, is memorize First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're something special. We're not some blob of just Mistake though sometimes I know we feel that way because a lot of the world crushes us in and limits our understanding. But all over God's word, we are encouraged and affirmed and built up so that we can reach our destiny, we can reach our unique call, we can do what God calls us to do. You know, we read in envy of those in, in Scripture how they did miraculous things. But Jesus says greater things you'll be able to do those who have the faith and understand they're not limited in their thinking we need to keep reminding ourselves of these things and believe we can and we can reach like jesus to the captive who are held captive in their thinking by helping others see who they are in god write down ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 it says let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth wow the word unwholesome means tearing down let no tearing down word come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the edification or the building up of others. To affirm. You know, when I meet with young couples to do their premarriage marriage counseling and, and spend time with them, one of the things I tell them is that you have a unique opportunity. As you are related to each other in, in marriage, now you have the ability to talk right into that, that mate's soul. And you can be used of God to affirm them and who God has made them to be. Think of your conversations at home. How much affirmation is there for your mate, for your kids, kids to your parents? Well, we should be helping other people see people as God sees them by affirming them, by complimenting them, by telling them how wonderful they are in God's eyes. That will help people be released from this chain of of imprisoning thoughts. As well, we are to be released from imprisoning expectations. Look at verse 23. Interesting thing going on here. Jesus says to them, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And say, Do here in your hometown what you have heard, what we have heard you do in Capernaum. You almost sense a little bit of, Okay, Jesus, come on, Jesus boy, do some tricks. (laughs) We heard what you did in Capernaum. This kind of magical stuff that you do. Can't do something here. Let us see it happen. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. They wanted a sign, they wanted some uh, physical uh, appearance of, of the power that they had heard talked about. They expected a sign. And they had formed an expectation of what an experience with this Jesus was like. And when it didn't measure up, they got angry. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus calls them on this with a couple of examples. As you read down in the text in Luke, it brings out a couple of people from the Old Testament. The first one is the widow in Zarephath. Write down 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. You can read the story. But there was a famine in the land, and Elijah was there and was told to go live at this woman's house, and, and, and she was frustrated. She was expecting that life wouldn't be like this. She was chained, imprisoned, with her expectation that life should be better than it was. And she was ready to just give it up and die. And you can read the story about what happens. It's a fantastic, phenomenal story. I won't ruin it for you. You read it yourself. But we're just like that. We're just like that woman who has this expectation that life should be better than it is. There's nothing wrong with wanting things better. But sometimes we spiritualize it and think that if we're right with God, then we'll be rich. If we're right with God, then everything will be easy. And that's a false expectation. And Jesus calls them on it, and they get the understanding of that. He also pulls out the character of Naaman. Now, if you want to know where that story is found, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. It's a phenomenal story. Uh, but this g- character and this mighty warrior, very prideful, has leprosy. And so he goes to Elisha to get healed. And he has an expectation about how he's going to be healed, that, that Elisha's going to come out and kind of, you know, wave up to heaven and say all these words and wave it over his, his leprosy and poof, it'll be gone. Some magical thing will happen through his body and, and he'll be healed. And instead, you've got to read the story. Elisha tells him to go dump in the... In the River Jordan, which is you know, really messes with Naaman's pride, but we're just like that. You know, we we, we want God to heal us, and we're hoping that some kind of somebody touching us and some some you know feeling goes through our body and and ooh yeah we can that we don't realize that God may heal us through the through the through His miraculous way of having somebody understand what his surgery is to fix us. <laughs> That's still a miracle in itself. I'm amazed at what people could do in the medical field. That's of God that they were taught that. This little pill helps you with, do amazing things and heals you of all kinds of things. I have asthma, and it's amazing. I can just breathe in on this thing, and I can... That's it's a miracle. It's a miracle. miracle of God they invented this stuff. Jesus was also making the point that we expect to be healed all the time and he points out the the part that there are other people who had leprosy but he only healed naaman there are other people who were starving to death and he only healed the woman at zarephath jesus makes it clear that god nor jesus heals everybody all the time and if you look down at verse 38 to 40 peter's mom gets healed but not other people Now, am sure jesus healed a lot of people there but he didn't heal everybody he did heal peter's mom See, we have this expectation that cages in our faith that everybody gets healed, that everybody gets the same blessings, that it's all equal and fair. Now sure, salvation is for all and heaven is for those who believe. Those who've come to that place in their life where they understand that they're sinful done wrong things and realize that sin holds them back from heaven from relationship with God but yet no they need a savior and that savior is Jesus and they believe in him alone for their salvation and so they 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 have that belief in Jesus and that salvation is for all and heaven is for all yet God deals with each of us differently we're not all the same economically we don't all have the same gifts and abilities Some of you are incredibly talented in many ways, and some of us are not. (laughs) We're different. God deals with us differently, and what we should expect is whatever God gives us, we have what we have by the hand of God, and we have what we don't have by the hand of God as well. We need to be like Paul is in Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, I'm not saying this because... I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know, that, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And if we're not content, we'll always be disappointed and be imprisoned by our expectations. We'll be stalled in our faith. To break free is to have that content attitude, to say, this is enough, this is sufficient. Even when we want or hunger for more, like that poor mom who gives and goes without to her children and happy to do so. This attitude of life is a a full-on trust and reliance on God. As Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all of your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you know, we read that verse and we go, Riches, okay, that's yeah, that's right. (laughs) I need to have riches (laughs) to be content. And no, by His glorious riches, He will meet all of our needs. And these are hard concepts to get that God may want us to be poor. God may want us to be without a house. God may want us to be in a place where we're still looking for a job. God may even have for us, and this one's a harder one to take, God may even have for us suffering, struggling, plagued by that nagging problem or with that disability. Sure, we ask to have the issue removed, but like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 who begged God to remove his thorn in the flesh, heard this from God, my grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, for my power is made perfect in weakness, God says. And we can be released from this chain, this imprisonment of expectations as we are con- content trusting God in all situations, even the difficult ones. And we can reach like Jesus for those who are imprisoned by expectations by pointing people to our amazing, loving God who loves them and and walks with them. And you know, we need to be reminded of that, especially when we're going through difficult times. To remind that God is with us. God is there for us. He's walking with us through our suffering, our struggling, and our our, uh, situations that we're going through. In this passage in Luke, Jesus not only challenges their thinking and their expectations, he now challenges them to be released from their imprisoning anger. Look at verse 28. All the people in the synagogues were furious when they heard this because they were cut to the quick. They realized that Jesus was talking about they had expectations. And he was whittling away at how that's not a good thing. And they became furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You ever wonder what that is? How he walked through the crowd? I always wonder what that is. I, I either pictured Jesus kind of turning around and just all of a sudden his uh, glory or a little bit of his his uh, uh, divineness kind of ekes out and you know, just this, and the crowd just kind of parts, and he just walks straight through. Or, or, or maybe it's because Jesus, he was a carpenter's son, so he was probably just completely ripped. And he just turned around and just, and just kind of flexed. And the crowd just got you know, big eyes and go, woo, let him go. <laughs> or Jesus just kind of went, poof, and he was gone. He just kind of invisible walked through. I don't know, but it doesn't really say exactly. It just says he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. But the point here is that they were furious when they heard this. So angry, they were ready to, ha- to do violent things. And over this past few weeks, we have seen the devastation of anger out of control that turned violent and with the massacre in Arizona. An incredible travesty of people, innocent people just killed because of some person's anger. But this weekend, we celebrate the preservation of anger as it moves and motivates positive change like that of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and those who peacefully sought to curb prejudice. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold to let anger be turned to violence. Because anger can easily turn violent, like with Jesus and that crowd that was there that day. We can hit, we can say hurtful words. You know that, that the phrase, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never... Yeah, that's a lie. Because there are some words that people have said to you when you were young that are still there. And they are like our, arrows that pierce your heart, and you remember them, and they have affected you deeply. And we can hurt and violent say violent, violent, hurtful things with our words. It's almost worse than murder for we live with it every day. Anger locks us up so that we can't stretch out and experience peace. but God wants us to experience peace and how do we break free First Peter three ten through eleven says so write that down and look at it later because it has some great truths in it verse ten says for Whoever would love life and seek good days, or seek the peace of life, must, here's one, keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So watch what you say. Here's another one, verse 11. He must turn from evil and do good. Stop doing evil, do good. And he must seek peace and pursue it. That means to run after peace, the word pursue. Uh, First of all, to make sure that we have peace with God. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, there is enmity, there is frustration and and even hostility towards God because of our sin. Because holy God cannot be in the presence of sinful man. But the great news, the gospel truth, is that if we believe in Jesus for our salvation, we're covered with the blood of Christ and God no, no longer sees our sin but sees His Son as perfect. And we can enter into relationship with him and, and have the joy of heaven and all of that because of that, that we have peace with God. I encourage you, if you haven't yet made that decision to, to have peace with God, uh, investigate Jesus. Come, come after the service and I'll give you some materials you can look at and we can talk about later or you can just do, look at on your own. But investigate that to have that peace with God. And then how we take in the peace from God is to live life his way by doing good and turning away from evil. And, and if we want to reach like Jesus uh, to those imprisoned by anger, we need to follow the, the truth from Proverbs 15.1. A gentle anger turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It is so easy to say the choice words, you know, those hot buttons that we say to our family and friends <laughs> that we know evokes a, the unleashing volcano of fury. We know those hot buttons. Don't say them. A gentle answer turns away wrath. You know, one of the, if you can't say anything, just smile. But don't smile like, you know, because <laughs> that says a lot with your nonverbal. Just smile, just, just, just lock your body straight and just, just smile and then try to walk away as soon as you can so you don't blow up and verbally barfle over everybody. <laughs> a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you want to be a help, then be kind and gentle and smile. Yes, there is much that imprisons us, but there is one thing that we should be captivated by. We should be released to Jesus' captivating teaching. Look at verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum to the town of Galilee on the Sabbath and began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teachings because because his message had authority. So the question that's right there for all of us, can that be said of us? Does his message really have authority in our life? Does his word really have that place of authority in our life? If it does, that means we listen to it. If it does, that means we do what it says. You know, if I, if I ask you to go do something and, and, that, and then you just don't do it, do I really have authority? No. No. I'm just, you know, blowing air. <laughs> Don't let the word of God blow air on you. Let it affect you. Let it have authority where you actually do what it says. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Does Jesus' teaching have real authority in your life? Don't just read the words, but actually understand this book and understand what God wants of us. Be as Second 2 Timothy two fifteen says correctly handling the word of truth. And that's not just memorizing it. It's not just having read every verse on every page. It's actually knowing what the words say and how they relate to life now. You know, I was asked the other day, you know, how many times that I've read through the Bible. I, I don't know. But you know, every time I read through it, it is amazing how i keep going deeper and deeper this word of god is a well that will never grow dry and just because you read it all doesn't mean you can't reread it again (laughs) we need to keep delving into this and be captivated by the authority of christ and god in this book you know, n- n- not every time I read do I walk away, wow, oh, what great truce. If you read my quiet time journal, you'll see even a couple of days ago, question mark, question mark, question mark. Well, I have no idea what you're talking about here. Question, you know, walk away from that closed book. Wow, that was really helpful today. <clears throat> not every day that you get these great wisdom pieces and truth out. It, it takes some work and, and, and not every day. We'll, we need to keep learning and be captivated so much that we go back to it again and again and again. Luke goes on and encourages us to be released from imprisoning fear. Uh, verses 33 to 37 and verse 41, uh, in that Jesus casts out demons from someone, and also in verse 41, and in verse 36, the people are, are saying, wow, how is it that this, this one Jesus even casts out demons because they had been uh, imprisoned by fear of evil? It is Kind of scary. I don't know if any of you have seen someone actually possessed, but it's a little freaky. (laughs) Hair on the back of your neck stands up and you, whoa. You know, the heads don't turn around and green stuff doesn't spew out. That's the movies. But it's freaky. And there is a real fear that comes with that, and that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to create in us fear. Because we do dumb things when we're afraid. Just like the those lion roars, and you know, the, the, the flock scatters, and people run the, right into the lions because they're so, not people, animals, gazelles run into the lions because they're so afraid they just don't know where they're going. In fear, they, they jump and they're caught. And doesn't it doesn't say the devil prowls like a roaring lion. He wants to instill fear into us, that we jump, and we're afraid, I'm afraid I'm going to be alone, My friend, afraid I'm going to be alone, so I jump into a relationship that I should never have gone into. We're so afraid that we're not going to make it financially, so we jump into a job that we should have never gone into. And fear makes us do not very smart things. We feel like we're going to be uh, left out of the crowd unless we go to that party where we know we're going to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And so we take in and we get into the partying lifestyle because we don't want to be left out. (laughs) And we're afraid. Fear messes us up. But the way out is love. 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. That perfect love of loving God as the main authority in our life, trusting in his loving words that will guide us and direct us. It's loving God enough to trust him and his way of life. That he is the supreme authority. And if we want to help reach like Jesus for those who are imprisoned by fear, we need to love each other as God loves us and love those other people so they can experience God's love and move out and not move out in fear. You know, there's, there's much that can imprison us in life. And, and like the elephant, we can let the struggles and sufferings of life make us think that we can never break free. Or what we can do is we can grab hold of Jesus as he reaches towards us and we can break free because he sets the captives free. And we can break free from imprisoning thought by, by taking in God's affirmation. We can break free from imprisoning expectations by focusing God on God alone, not on what he does and his signs and wonders and not on our experience, the ooey-gooey feeling we feel with him, but on him alone. And he can be set free from the imprisoning anger that racks our society by taking in the God of peace. And then we should be captivated by Christ's teaching, letting him be the authority in our life, and then break free from imprisoning fear by taking in God's love. And we can reach like Jesus and help people who are imprisoned by these things as well. As we do, we will reach like Jesus. And be free. For when the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and how freeing it is to know that uh, you love us completely. (laughs) That even though the spear seems sharp to us, you've actually released the spear. Help us to feel that sense of release. And Father, I know that as we, number of us sit here we think of our own chains that are holding us back, whether it's an addiction or a pain or a struggle or whatever. Holy Spirit, help us to sense that relief and to walk as you want us to, to reach out and, and live that unique call that you've called us to, despite all that we struggle with. Help us, Father, we pray in your son's name. Amen.